how do we get someone who appears healthy, who may have some underlying issue that could maybe not hurt them in the next year or two years, but may be the seed that creates a smoldering effect that ultimately leads to a wildfire, which could be cancer 10 to 15 years down the road. Welcome to the Empowered Podcast, where we bring you expert clinical perspectives on the latest health data and wellness trends. Each week, we'll cut through the noise and answer your unanswered health questions, helping you take control of your everyday well-being. The Empowered DX Podcast is for general educational purposes only and is not medical advice. If you have any questions about your own health, please consult a healthcare provider. Visit the Empowered DX Terms of Use webpage for the full podcast disclosure. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Empowered Podcast. This is Austin Alvarez, and I'm here with Aaron Jerger and Dr. Travis Wilkes. What's happening, guys? Just enjoying this weather. Glad it's summer. Absolutely. What about you, Travis? Uh, same. Uh, it's getting hot, though. Hot like inflammation. Uh-huh. <laughs> what a great lead-in. <laughs> so instant segue to what we're going to talk about today, inflammation. Mm-hmm. So where should we start, Aaron? Well, maybe just an overview of inflammation in the body and how that actually affects a lot of, um, could it affect disease states and what should people be concerned about regarding inflammation? Yeah, sure. Yeah, inflammation is a huge topic. It kind of it kind of drives everything. Inflammation's been followed for literally thousands of years in, in medicine. The uh, Classic kind of uh, Roman stuff is uh, uh, calor, dolor, rubor, and and tumor, which are are heat, pain, redness, and swelling, um, which are sort of the the classic um, signs of inflammation that have been around for a, a this idea has been around for a very long time. So we've we've followed inflammation and we've sort of seen it because you can feel it and what people think about of, as inflammation. Um, is, is really kind of interesting. So when you when you go and hit your finger with a hammer, uh, it gets inflamed. So it gets warm and it hurts and it gets red and then it swells. And so that's that, that's sort of the most basic concept of inflammation. And I think everybody kind of understands that. And then people are very familiar with identifying inflammation and then saying, okay, well, I have this that's inflamed, my foot is inflamed, I'm gonna go take an anti-inflammatory medication. And so the NSAIDs like uh, ibuprofen and naproxen are, are really commonly used and are over the counter. Um, so so people have this kind of comfort, I think, with, uh, with sort of the very major inflammation that you can feel, I guess. I think where it gets confusing is when you get into kind of low level inflammation which I refer to as kind of smoldering inflammation, uh, where it's uh, you're you're not having uh, heat and and pain and swelling, um, and it's more distributed throughout the body. And so I think that uh, I, I think that it's it's kind of a hard transition to understand how. Um, how you can go from you hit your thumb with a hammer and it's red and hot and, and swollen and that's inflammation and then you eat poorly and uh, and then that leads to low level inflammation throughout all of your blood vessels and throughout all the tissue in your body and how that does kind of long-term damage and decreases immune function and sets you up for for um, other diseases now what kind of diseases are we talking about here 
So really everything is driven by inflammation. I guess the best way to think about it is inflammation itself drives the development of cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disease, so like dementia, um, all, all of these things are, are inflammatory driven as well as cancers. So cancers are very frequently um, inflammation driven and inflammation has some role in, um, in how they develop. And it seems like some inflammation that most people are aware of are the ones you can see and feel, but a lot of inflammation can be going on in the body and you don't even know, like if there's arterial inflammation. And if you search inflammation, it comes up with every part of the body. Could it be your throat, your stomach, your brain, your liver? Yeah, the, yeah I think the, I think the way you think about it, it's the difference between having a rat in your house and having um, termites. So a rat, you're going to hear it, you're going to see it, and you're going to get really scared, and you're going to do something about it. Termites, unless they really have taken over, um, you're, you're probably not going to hear them, see them, know that they're there, but they're doing all this damage, but they're doing it one tiny, tiny little step at a time. And so uh, that is the reason why most people out of fear of termites have uh, have some sort of protection plan or sentinel plan for identifying early on if there's um, if there's termites in their house. The rat you can kind of listen for and freak out when it happens, but uh, but the termites are are harder to detect. So I think that that's the best example I know of to understand, um, you know, the difference in what we're talking about here. I love that. It's like we need a prevention plan um, for inflammation. And I know some of the things we've talked about on this podcast, whether it's nutrition, exercise, getting enough sleep, would you say all of those should be part of that prevention plan? Yeah, I mean, all of those things drive inflammation. I, and I think one of the hard things is not having a, you, you, you know, I think what's, what's interesting is through COVID is people got used to this idea of certain identifying certain metrics about themselves. So like a lot of people got used to checking their temperature every day and saying like, oh, my temperature is 98.2 degrees today and 97.7 today. And they, they kind of got used to that um, and getting that feedback. But with inflammation, like nobody, there is no feedback on low level inflammation. So there's no, there, there's no, um, you can't go rub your forehead or you can't go look at your, at your fingernails or anything like that and get some kind of clue as to um, how inflamed you are. And so I think, I, I think that lack of a barometer is, um, it, it makes it sort of uh, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And it seems like another big issue is how trendy inflammation is right now. So what I hear people saying is, hey, I read that inflammation causes all of my health issues. Let me go find an inflammatory or anti-inflammatory diet. I'm going to sort of follow it, and then I have peace of mind that I'm good, right? So you're implying that there's probably something on a deeper level that we could assess or test for that we can't see with like a thermometer check, right? Yeah, and and I think another thing is like, it's hard to know to what extent are you inflamed. And then if you do make an intervention, um, is that sufficient? Um, did it did it do what you expected it to do? So you're right. I mean, inflammation has become um, sort of trendy um, as of as of late, um, which I hope I hope that inflammation doesn't then go out of trend and people forget about it and move on to something else because that would that would not be good because inflammation. Uh, is definitely here to stay. Um, so I, I know what you're saying there. Like someone will say, 
I want to lower my inflammation, so I'm going to go and take turmeric, which is sort of an, an orange Indian spice that can lower inflammation. They're like, I'm going to take 500 milligrams of turmeric a day. And then they have no idea if that worked. Was that enough? Was it was it awesome for them? Uh, did it did it just eliminate inflammation in their body? Do they still have other amounts of inflammation? We we really don't know. Um, similarly, a lot of medications have anti-inflammatory um, effects too, um, which you know are sort of rarely measured um, in terms of how much they lower inflammation. But that can be a major action of of uh, several medications as well that are not anti-inflammatory. By by um, you know they're not like it's not like an ibuprofen in terms of being an anti-inflammatory medicine. Mm -hmm. So if all these lifestyle changes have the potential to lower inflammation, I mean, exercising regularly, probably not super vigorous, but you know, low to moderate intensity for three to five days a week, 30 minutes, whatever. If you're sleeping sufficiently, if you have some good stress management techniques. If you're eating right, if you're eating super clean, healthy, all of that may change your inflammation, your smoldering low-level inflammation, but then what do you test for? Well, so here's here's something to think about with that. Um, so not all inflammation has, has the same target. Um, or not all inflammation sort of re responds the same way, I guess is a better way to think about that. Um, so it's sort of like honey. So there's like in your head, you think like, oh, honey is honey. But then like if you go into a honey store, you find out there's like all these thousands of different types of honey from different uh, different types of uh, flowers and all. And then if there's like a tasting thing, then you taste them and you're like, oh, all these honeys are actually different. And that's sort of how it works with inflammation, too. Um, so you see things like if you go and give someone who has really bad acne ibuprofen, it's probably not going to help their inflammation, even though ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory. However, if you give them doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, which has an anti-inflammatory effect, then their acne may get better. And so just to kind of give an idea that there are these, these different um, the, these different sort of flavors of inflammation and how how they respond, I think, is kind of important to identify and understand. Um, but in, there there are there there are a couple blood tests that can be good kind of markers of inflammation just generalized throughout the body. The the most accessible um, and, and very frequently used being um, CRP, C-reactive protein. So there's there's two forms of C-reactive protein that are important to kind of understand. There's the regular C-reactive protein, which is um, which looks for a high level of in inflammation. So th this is the kind of th this test result goes high when people have an infection in their body, or um, or they um, they have they have autoimmune disease, um, rheumatoid arthritis, something like that that really just when that's high, the body's on fire somewhere. So that it's like fire within the body. Then there is a, another test um, or another form of C-reactive protein called a high sensitivity CRP or a high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And that is um, that, that high sensitivity makes it more sensitive at finding these low level smoldering inflammatory states. 
And so um, generally, if you, you can use that test to kind of identify, okay, do I have kind of low level inflammation? And, um, and often that's used in the cardiovascular space to try to identify if, if blood vessels have underlying inf inflammation. Um, but it really just kind of tells overall about you know, are, are you inflamed or not? And then you can, you can use that information um, as you make changes. So maybe you start exercising and you start dieting, um, not dieting like for weight loss necessarily, but just you change your diet and you say, I'm going to go to a whole foods diet and I'm going to try to uh, eat more vegetables and all. And then you, you could then retest that, you know, a month or two later and say, oh, look, I was able to drop my high sensitivity C, um, CRP level from a 6.5 to a 0.7. And that'd be great. Or you might you might get it and say, I dropped it from a 6.5 to a four, so I'm making progress, but I still have a ways to go. So what else can I do? And so that's, uh, that is a, a, an accessible um, uh, marker or, or tool we can use to kind of assess our, our state of inflammation. Are there um, situations in your practice or certain symptoms that somebody has or certain disease states that would make you want to test for HSCRP? Yeah, so I mean, I'd want I'd, from a large standpoint, I'd, I'd kind of like to know for everybody. Um, one of the issues becomes with it is that it's uh, it, it's not uh, it's it's not well covered for many conditions, and so it's yeah. In in my view, it's a it's a wonderful kind of preventative test. Um, however, you know, it, it um, insurance coverage for it is not very good, and so then you have to worry about are people going to get a bill, and how much is that bill, and it's hard to kind of predict. Um, and so that uh, that uncertainty of the pricing probably significantly limits how much I have used it in practice, um, even though I, I do use it a lot. But I probably in a, in a perfect world, I think it would be um, standard for everybody. Um, so I don't know if there's I don't know if I could necessarily say um, I would only use it for these people. Uh, I, I have used it a lot in management of cardiovascular disease, um, as well as uh, diabetes, prediabetes, to try to better assess how, uh, how much underlying inflammation someone has and then how much they're responding to treatment. Um, but I don't, think that, I, I don't think that it's good to be closed-minded to that. I mean, I, um, I, I don't have um, diabetes, but um, I find my own uh, inflammation status to be really interesting and also very useful to help kind of drive decision making. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, it uh, I, I don't I don't think I'd want to limit limit it at all in terms of uh, you know only use it for X Y Z conditions. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, do you test any other biomarkers besides HSCRP? Yeah, so it depends on the it depends on the situation. So there's there's lots of biomarkers for inflammation, and so there's um, there's some that are more specific to um, uh, cardiovascular health, like LPPLA two, also called a plaque test. Um, there's um, there's a, a multitude of tests that kind of look at 
at inflammation um, in more focused ways. But um, high sensitivity CRP is the main one that I use for just sort of uh, generalized understanding of, of smoldering inflammation. And then if 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 someone you know comes in and has um, uh, swollen joints and you know maybe rash of some sort and then there's questions about does this person have autoimmune disease well then in that situation high sensitivity crp is really not an appropriate test uh, because if i'm thinking about about autoimmune disease then i'm really worried about kind of high high level um, inflammation and that's when i use more of a traditional crp test um, often with um, in combination with a, a sedimentation rate which is another marker of kind of uh, high level inflammation and then often that's kind of coupled with uh, uh, looking at more specific autoimmune markers uh, but those are those are more symptom based uh, the high sensitivity crp is usually reserved more when people don't have any symptoms um, or have kind of you know uh, uh, non-specific symptoms but uh, there's an there's an interest in what is their level of inflammation? Is there an opportunity to optimize? And I think that the optimization is probably a key word there. It's like, maybe not hurt them in the next year or two years, but may be the seed that creates a smoldering effect that ultimately leads to a wildfire, which could be cancer 10 to 15 years down the road. Mm -hmm. If you um, had all the tests in the world that you could run, um, I know that you have mentioned interleukin-6 before. Is that something you would like to have yeah, access so, to? So you get the um, IL-6 or interleukin-6 is, is really interesting. I, it's um, It gets into the nuance of inflammation. So um, well, a funny thing about inflammation is that um, while, while we, while when you see your hand that's red and swollen and irritated, um, after you hit it with a hammer, no one really understands and respects how complex the process was to make that happen. And so there's an enormous amount of chemical signaling, um, that, that happens, um, in a very fascinating sequence that ultimately leads to this small part of your body getting warmer, having increased fluid, having increased blood flow, um, and um, and then starting to hurt. Um, all of those things are sort of generated by um, by chemical signaling. Um, so that all, all that happens when you hit your your thumb with a hammer is you create. Uh, a reaction, sort of a, a chain reaction where um, all of these things that are sitting quietly um, start activating and all these signals get sent out and then they cause everything to happen in a, in a very orderly fashion. And so IL-6 is, is one of those, um, those markers that is associated with um, one of the things that, that that's um, part of that of that cascade effect. Um, and IL-6 is particularly interesting just because it's been well studied and is, um, is sort of well understood as a, as a marker of, um, of inflammation. 
Um, it specifically got um, a lot of utility uh, in during COVID as uh, as a marker of disease severity and as sort of a predictor of outcomes for hospitalized patients. And so, you know, just to, to kind of show you the power of, of what these tests can reveal is right there. Um, IL-6 is a little bit trickier to use um, in, uh, in the sense of just broad overall inflammation. Um, not that there's no utility. It's just um, it's just a little trickier, and I, I I really don't want people to fall asleep, or then Austin will get upset that uh, <laughs> you know that people fall asleep during his podcast. So maybe <laughs> we can move to another piece. Yeah. So my uh, my next question is, what do you do about it from a food standpoint? So nutritionally, can we make changes? Like you mentioned, turmeric, and you know how much per day should we be taking? Can it be in capsule form? Or can I just dump it on my food that I'm eating? I mean, what what do you recommend? Both of you have realized I'm really anti-silver bullets. Um, <laughs> and that applies here too. Um, so I think that it has to be sort of a, I think that you can make the choice to include things, but it has to be an overall diet um, approach. And there's some great things that have been built, like, um, like uh, Dr. Andrew Weil has put together this anti-inflammatory food pyramid. Um, that I think is really helpful um, because I think that the current food pyramid uh, has a lot of flaws in it. And so if you if, if you can follow something that kind of allows you to build your entire diet around decreased inflammation uh, by by including uh, more vegetables, fruit, mushrooms, um, lots of uh, lots of spices and herbs and uh, and green tea, white tea, um, dark chocolate, even all these sort of anti-inflammatory foods. I think that that can go a really long way. But I don't think I think one of the problems is smoldering inflammation is not going to be solved by a magic bullet. It's going to it's going to take effort and work. Um, but it's also going to take probably trial and error. And so figuring out what you can eat on a regular basis and making that, you know, it's not like there's no benefit to going and decreasing the inflammation for one week. Like you, This is a long-term planning, uh, mm -hmm. planning tool. And so whatever you do, you want it to be sustainable, whether it's, in, it's better quality sleep, better quality diet, better quality exercise, whatever it is you want to, um, you want it to be sustainable. And so, yeah, some, sometimes, um, sometimes it is helpful to add turmeric in like a supplement form because some people just don't like the way turmeric tastes and it doesn't get absorbed easily anyway. And so like turmeric really needs to be paired with, um, with black pepper or some other kind of um, increased ab absorbing agent in order for it to get absorbed better. Um, so things like that come into play. And so you could, uh, you you have to be kind of mindful of those things that, and um, and understand when you take supplements that, um, that there are other factors that affect how much of it actually gets into your body. Um, I definitely, I drink turmeric tea sometimes myself. Um, it does have a unique taste. I don't know if everybody would like it. Um, but also, you know, the amount of turmeric in a tea is not, anywhere near the amount that's in an extracted form in a capsule. Uh, but maybe a low amount is enough if you drink it um, often. Uh, this is where sort of the 
the, uh, the more data you have, the better decisions you can make. And I, I personally love data because the more data you can watch trend lines and you can sort of see how things change and you can see why, why did my inflammation go up? And you're like, oh, work was really stressful and I was only sleeping for four to five hours a night. And you're like, that had an effect. Look at that. And then I had this, you know, really good time where I increased my diet and I started running two miles a day or something like that. And you're like, that's what I need to sustain in order to keep the inflammation low. So I think the feedback is is really important to to kind of gain from testing. That's great. Yeah. And what maybe one more thing, what is the effect? And we know processed foods, fried foods can increase inflammation, but can you explain that process? I mean, What's happening when people are eating those types of foods? So fats are 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 really interesting. So fat um, fats are are really healthy and important. I mean, fats have gotten a bad name for really um, really no reason. So um, you have to have fats in your diet. So there's only three things you can eat. You can eat carbohydrates, fat, or protein. And so um, so fats are really important, but not all fats are the same. So you've got um, You've got a lot of variety within there. And so some fats like omega-3s and fish oil or fish um, are anti-inflammatory and other fats have um, have a lot of arachidonic acid, which is another type of fat. And arachidonic acid is inflammatory. And so sometimes things can get out of balance in terms of uh, the types of fat, largely because of diet. And that can uh, that can shift things from an anti-inflammatory state to a pro-inflammatory state. Um, so we probably we probably need to spend like an entire podcast talking about that. But uh, but basically, in a in a very basic thing, monounsaturated fats um, are are good, which is what you get from like olive oil, avocados. Um, not all saturated fats are bad. Some saturated fats can be good. Um, trans fats are universally bad. Um, and, uh, and omega threes, uh, particularly EPA, which is a, a type of omega three, um, found in fish, um, is particularly anti-inflammatory. And so, you know, understanding what you're eating and what you're putting in your body does help you understand more about your state of inflammation and maybe why it's uh, it's that way. Even though it's very hard to kind of look back on your diet and say, how much monounsaturated fat did I get last week and how much trans fat did I get? It's uh, That's really difficult. Right. And I think people would have to make an effort at, at tracking that if they were really, really trying. But that's good. I feel like we have some good takeaways. How about you, Austin? Yeah, don't be inflamed. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like the step one, go ahead and get tested, right? Go get your HSCRP. It's accessible. There's at home tests. Get a baseline, make some changes for a month or two, whatever it is. Um, also go see your doctor so that you can get some feedback along the way. Go a little deeper on um, your health history, what you're at risk for, what you may have underlying and make those changes consistently for one or two months and then retest HSCRP or other inflammatory markers and make sure that it's going downward. And if it's not going downward, then you're not lowering your inflammation, right? Or if your symptoms aren't going away as a result of inflammation, then you're probably not lowering it, right? 
Yeah. And then also once you're low, you got to maintain that that low level of inflammation. And so, you know, you're not it's not a it's not a race to a finish line. And then once you're at the finish line, you're good. It's a race to you know, you want to get it down, but then you have to maintain it. And so it's a it's an ongoing thing. So, you know, then routinely checking and, and saying, OK, I'm good. My my HSCRP is is still under one. I'm um, I'm, I'm still in, in good shape. Everything I'm doing is working. Great. Excellent information. Great takeaways. Thanks again for all of your knowledge. And we'll look forward to next time. Awesome. Thanks so much, team. Thanks for listening to the Empowered Podcast, your trusted advisor for all things health and wellness. For more information on how you can take control of your health, visit EmpowerDXLab.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time. Until then, stay empowered.